All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 92. We're going to be talking about Tennessee. My name is Bob Akhairi. I'm going to be joined by my usual co-hosts, J.D. Moore and Sirius. And we're going to have a special guest with us this evening. From The Athletic, we're going to have Joe Rexroad as our guest. In fact, I see he's already here. Wow, that's, that's lightning quick. It's always good to see that. So Tennessee football is looking stronger than it has in a long time. As both my co-hosts mentioned yesterday during kind of our open discussion, the Vols are possibly the most exciting team playing college football right now with that explosive offense. With the third Saturday in October coming up, hype is high, game day is coming, and a 15-year streak is on the line. So we wanted to talk with an expert as well as hear your calls. So Joe Rex wrote, is a senior writer and columnist for The Athletic Nashville. He previously worked as a columnist for The Tennessean, and prior to that was a longtime sports writer in Michigan for the Detroit Free Press and the Lansing State Journal. In addition to his writing, he's presently a co-host of the Robbie and Rex Road Show on 102.5 The Game in Nashville. Joe, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I've uh, This is my first Twitter space experience, so... Uh... I apologize in advance if I screw anything up, but I'm excited to be with you all. Oh, don't worry. We've we figured out every possible way to screw this up. So there's you're you're fine. <laughs> we'll we'll be the ones to do <laughs> we'll be the ones to do the screwing. We'll be <laughs> we'll be the ones to be messing it up. So different um, kind of Twitter space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, kind of just initially, you know, I I know you've probably seen this article, and and I read it myself a couple of days ago. The Knoxville News Sentinel, John Adams said Tennessee looks like a better coach football team than Alabama. Is he correct? You know, the John Adams column you referenced, first of all, I'm, I, uh, I love John Adams, known John Adams a long time. And I, I mean, believe me, as soon as that hit the internet, I was like, oh, well, well. And, you know, I thought it was the, the, the powerful line from that was, you know, 35 years of, of uh, following Tennessee football. And I, I don't have it right in front of me, but to paraphrase, basically, like he has not, he has not seen a Tennessee coach influence or impact the game, something to that of that nature uh, in in all his time watching Tennessee football, which I thought was quite a statement by John. Uh, now, do I think they're a better coach team than Alabama? I think that might be a stretch. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I mean, I think Josh Heibel's done tremendous work, but I I would I would think most people who closely co- uh, follow college football would would agree that Nick Saban's the best college football coach of all time. I believe that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that Josh Heupel deserves a lot of credit, and it's a somewhat stunning what he's been able to do in a short period of time in Knoxville. Joe, when I think about this Josh Heupel change in what we're seeing in Knoxville right now, one thing is just stunning to me is how quickly he's been able to turn the corner and get success in Tennessee when we've seen several of his predecessors, Jeremy Pruitt, Derek Dooley, Butch Jones, uh, failing to get any kind of real strong long-term traction, but Hypel seems to be getting it done within the first two years that he's been on the job. What's been the difference that he's been doing as opposed to those of his predecessors? Yeah, well, I will say this. You know, I, I think I think Butch Jones, well, honestly, you could look at Butch Jones and Jeremy Pruitt both in terms of some of the things they did. Both of them, you know, obviously any, any new coach comes in and takes over uh, at least somewhat challenging situation. You, you're going to have some defections. You're going to have negativity around the program. You know, you got to rebuild the culture, all these things. I think both those guys early, there were some good signs, um, probably – 
especially more for Jones. And, you know, I think for him it was sustaining it. Um, you know, obviously the last time Tennessee and Alabama – the last time Tennessee was in the top ten along with Alabama when they played was 2016. Um, turned out to be not a very good game at all. A terrible game, 49-10 Alabama. That was the year that it kind of, you know, caved in Jones, but he did have a good start, you know. Not this good, but, like, I, I think it's still – I think there's still some things to be, to you know, to be learned about Heupel and handling the ups and downs um, and sustaining it. And at some point, you know, right now he can exceed expectations, and he certainly has. You know, at some point, and this is where Butch Jones got in 2016. They were the SEC's favorite going to that year. They were in the top ten a lot of the first half of the year. You know, at some point, it's like, okay, now you're Tennessee. You know, win championships. Um, so, you know, I, I think that – but if I want to compare Josh Heifel to those two in particular, I think one one area he's a lot better at both of them. It, they were very different, but both of them, I think, struggled to handle the fishbowl that is that job. Uh, I think Butch Jones was frankly just too, I think he was too preoccupied with, with the outside things that didn't matter with Pruitt. I guess it wasn't necessarily handling the fishbowl. It was just not running the program into the ground, uh, you know, with, with incredibly sloppy recruiting tactics and, and things like that. But also uh, you just, a lot of people, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Jeremy Pruitt did. And you, and you heard a little bit of that coming in. Heupel by comparison, um, I've heard the, the phrase adult in the room a lot with him, but there's some truth to it. He's, he's low key. He's even keel. He's, he's just got a good, I think a good uh, demeanor to handle what this job is because it can get, uh, I'm sure overwhelming for most people. Speaking of his predecessors, it seems like if we think back to that time, that there was a lot of focus on recruiting during those two uh, coaching tenures, especially during the Butch Jones era. And, it just never really quite seemed to measure up on the field. You know, when you're going out and getting some pretty highly ranked classes, bringing in a lot of students with a lot of turnover, and then it just was kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing where it didn't really translate into those results on the field. It seems with Heupel, it's kind of the opposite where, you know, he's brought in quite a few transfers that have had a big impact, like Hinton Hooker, Brew McCoy, several others, but also whatever the recruiting stuff is, is getting outweighed by the fact that he's putting out a superior product on the field that is so far, at least in his you know first year and a half there, uh, surpassing expectations. Yeah, exactly. Now, one thing to point out there, you know, actually Hendon Hooker was Jeremy Pruitt's uh, transfer. He, he joined the program uh, when Pruitt, before Pruitt got fired and then, and stuck through it. And, you know, basically it's funny because just a few weeks ago, he was talking about how, you know, I mean, he loved, that offense watched UCF all the time, had had some contact with uh, Hypo in the recruiting process and was thrilled. But I was like, man, yes. Like, why did you sign up for Pruitt's offense? And also, good for you that you are now in this offense because obviously it has suited him extremely well and he's been just tremendous. But, you know, I think what one thing you hit on there, your Butch Jones had some, I think he had a number four ranked class. He had, I think he had a four and a seven maybe. He had some very highly ranked classes. A lot of kids. He got some some major recruits in state too. Jalen Hurd, one you know, who comes to mind. But I think one thing you saw with Butch, and, and I heard this, you know, it kind of in real time, but you saw it play out. I don't think Butch was a great evaluator. Actually, I think that's one area where Pruitt was definitely superior to Butch, and that's one of the I think one of the bigger 
selling points for Pruitt was that obviously, you know, as an assistant, he had worn the, you know, he's out recruiting for Georgia, Florida State, and Alabama. So, hey, you're a good recruiter. Congratulations, you know. But he had actually found some kids along the way in there as well. And he had a reputation as, as someone with a good eye for talent. And I think some of that is actually even playing out now. Like there, you know, a lot of the, you know, most of the key players still that uh, who have succeeded under Heupel were recruited by Jeremy Pruitt. And I think he did a good job of finding kids. And of course, one of them is going to be on the field for Alabama, Henry Toto at middle linebacker uh, on Saturday. But you're right, Heupel on the field, and I, and I really think it's. I think it's, you know, obviously the offense, um, it's so impressive to see how they've implemented it so quickly, how they uh, get, you know, the the players on offense to execute the way they do and just the way they find matchups and set plays up and, you know, game plans, play calling, all of it's really, really impressive. And that's, I mean, that's the driving force. Speaking of some of Jeremy Pruitt's recruits that came in, um, under his watch that are still there, Cedric Tillman, the wide receiver who was on a lot of preseason watch lists, has been dealing with some injuries. Do you think we're going to get to see him on the field against Alabama, or is it still too soon? I'm, I definitely think that, um, that he's going to give it as much of a go as he can. And, and you know, Josh Heupel said this week, you know, he, he had the uh, – you know, he had the surgery, you can have those, those high ankle sprains to kind of expedite the process with the idea of coming back for this game. So if I had to guess right now, I guess he's going to give it a go. I, but I just, you know, how, how effective will he be? Um, you know, I, I wrote something for the athletic that hasn't run yet, but I, I said basically 80, 80% Cedric Tillman, I think would be a big deal for Tennessee. You know, they haven't, they haven't slowed down at all without him in the last two games against Florida and LSU. And part of that is Brew McCoy emerging. You know, Jalen Hyatt's been good all year, and he was one of the stories of the spring. But, I mean, Tillman and Hooker still, they, they have a connection that is special. And I think to win a game like this, you could really use that. And then you add him to what McCoy is now doing, and it's a, it's a pretty scary-looking fleet of receivers. One of those guys also includes Brew McCoy, who I know for his recruitment, especially flipping between USC and Texas for so long, uh, was so controversial. But he ended up transferring into Tennessee, and he looks like he's absolutely having a fantastic fit with the Tennessee Volunteers. I mean, just against LSU, the huge game that he had there. Uh, what's been his role in trying to make sure that this receiving core uh, is performing at its peak? Yeah, oh, well, and he's been a factor all year. But it really, I, I do think that you might look at the Tillman injury as a little bit of an accelerant. You know, I, I, he had to just be involved more. I think Hendon Hooker would probably be happy in a given game targeting Tillman like 20 times. You know, they just <laughs> – but um, and McCoy was making plays and made, a, you know, big plays in the Pittsburgh game. But especially the last two games, you can see they've had to lean on him more. And essentially, I mean, if you look at Hypo last year in this offense and even at UCF before – you know, they have a lot of receivers, and, and you would think an offense like this, hey, you know, use your depth, right? But but really, he's big on, like, who, who are the three guys that are going to be the main guys, and they get most of the targets and the snaps and the, and the you know, production. And um, so it's, you know, it's McCoy and, I mean, technically speaking, McCoy and Tillman on the outside and Hyatt in the slot. Um, 
of course, a lot of times they're all as far, you know, as close to the sidelines as you can get, you know, before the snap. But um, now McCoy, I, I feel like we're seeing that chemistry develop, you know, right before our eyes the last couple of weeks. So, like I said, I mean, you, you bring Tillman back to that now, and it's a much stronger – you know, last year, Javante Payton made big plays for them. Bayless Jones was very good. But this trio, especially with Hyatt playing the way he is as well, is uh, is far superior to, to what they had last year. Joe, what does Hendon Hooker need to do in this game to push himself to the front of the, the Heisman race? I'd say win. You know, I mean, I, I mean win and play well. I, you could – I guess you could argue if he has some incredible game and they lose a heartbreaker that he could still be right there. I think he'd still be there, but if you want to talk about pushing to the front, I mean, CJ Stroud is putting up video game numbers. And of course we could play Michigan state every week. My gosh, he'd throw for about 10,000 yards. Um, but yeah, I think right now to me, he's the leader. I know we do a, you know, like a for those of us who vote um, at the athletic and, I did notice this week that Hooker gained ground on Stroud, you know, with that, uh, you know, with that sample size of folks. So um, there's some buzz for him. I mean, he's, and I think he deserves it, but to be the front runner, probably, probably win this game. Now, if he can win one of these two games and, you know, these two games being Alabama and Georgia and they don't stumble otherwise, and he keeps putting up these numbers. And, you know, I think he's got a shot. It probably would still take a Stroud loss somewhere, which I don't know if that's going to be happening. Joe, we had some Tennessee callers during the preseason who asked about, you know, what it would take for Hinton Hooker to get that Heisman recognition. And one of the things that I mentioned was, you know, kind of want to see him move from managing that offense to really, you know, getting a little bit more uh, – trust from Heupel to, to make throws downfield and really start, you know, stretching the field vertically. And it looks like he's done that this year and he's off to a really great start, you know, better passing completion rate than last year. He's averaging more yards per pass. He's got a clean sheet, 10 touchdowns, no interceptions through five games. It seems like he's doing all of the things right. And that's why this offense is clicking the way it is. Just how big of a, of a jump has he made from Virginia Tech to, his first year as, you know, getting some starting reps at Tennessee to now putting up this kind of a season. Yeah, well, I think you're right. The, the vertical shots um, uh, have increased. You know, it's funny because he he had to come in last year uh, when Joe Milton got hurt against Pittsburgh. Now, you know, anybody who knows Pittsburgh's defense, and I, and I covered Pat Narduzzi for a long time. Uh, so, you know, his defense, and basically they play that very aggressive you know, quarters defense, but it's like, man, you know, press man and, you know, beat us with the fade defense. You know, we're, you're not running the ball. We're getting after your quarterback. Go ahead and be perfect with those throws. So, you know, that game alone, I mean, he must have uh, – Hooker this year must have thrown five or six deep balls. And and they actually – I mean, Tillman actually dropped one of them that would have been a touchdown, but they connected enough. You know, they won the game. The last year, you know, he came in. And probably would have had a bunch more on his season, except Milton had already thrown like five or six deep balls in that game, and he kept overthrowing them. You know, of course, Hooker came into that game was was very good, and ultimately won the job. And I, I think last year he was tremendous for most of the year. But yeah, it, it, there's no question that you can see growth. Um, like you said, you cited the numbers. Um, there is, uh, I think there's just more command out there, is what I see. He made a play. Um, 
and it wasn't a big play, but it set up a big play. It was, it was the 99-yard drive against Florida. And it was right before he threw a bomb to Ramel Keaton, which is a beautiful pass. And anybody who saw last week's game, he threw a, a deep a 45-yard touchdown to Jalen Hyatt. Couldn't throw it any better than that. But, but the play he made against Florida right before the Keaton play was, um, you know, a rare instance of pass rush getting to him because the protection has been very good. The ball's been out quickly a lot, but the protection has been very good. And um, he had to – just to evade it was impressive. This was a, like a third and ten. So evading it, having to go left, having to throw to a well-covered receiver who was also crossing the field going that way. And like you, the window is like as, as small as you can, you know, as you can draw up basically. And he, and he, it was an absolute dart to Princeton Fant for, for a first down. Again, it's one of those plays that can get lost in a season, but I watched that play. In fact, Joey Halsley, the quarterback's coach, later told me when I was, I was doing a story on Josh Hyde, was like, he doesn't make that play last year. You know, like there's an example. It's just, and sometimes it's like you just, the offense. Offense is, is a machine, and he operates it very well. But sometimes he also is just making plays like that, or making plays with his feet. He's a tremendous runner. The one thing he he as a slider, he needs work, and that's one thing you look at with him. Sometimes it's like you can't keep taking those hits. And I would I would advise him this Saturday to really be thinking slide at times. But he's just uh, he's a tremendous runner. He's a competitor, and and uh, you know obviously the team loves it when he. Uh, throws himself you know forward and and gets extra yardage joe i think one of the big matchups for this upcoming weekend in this game is going to be will anderson going up against that tennessee offensive line now granted gerald mincy starting left tackle wasn't able to play against lsu because of this undisclosed injury hypo is kind of hinting that he's going to be playing this week what does that offensive line look like against that challenge of the alabama defensive line yeah, it's a it's a great question. I agree. Obviously, I think Will Anderson has to be a part of any you know right any discussion when you when you. I, mean, I think you could you could argue he's the best football player in the country. Um, I mean, I think he he should be in that discussion. Um, I know quarterbacks typically only win the Heisman, but Will Anderson is an incredible player. And yeah, it sounds very much like Mincy will be back. Um, I think the Tennessee offensive line might be the most underrated part of the team um and the running game you know it's it's uh they're very effective and obviously this offense gives you light boxes and um it's a challenge there is a lot of rpo in this offense and hooker is very good at that uh but they also they are physical up there uh i feel like the interior has been really physical when they've needed a yard they've really wanted to improve in short yards this year they have and um, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, they've played some good players. I mean, LSU has some good players up front. Pittsburgh has some good players up front. For the most part, they've done the job. This is still a different kind of challenge. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm very – obviously, you, know, you watch enough Alabama, I feel like Will Anderson is coming at the left tackle more often when I've watched, but he certainly they, – they move him around. So tackle, sometimes interior linemen – but a lot of times those tackles and they'll be getting help, I think, to some extent. Um, but it's one of those things where obviously you don't want to let him wreck the game. You also, you know, you don't want to devote too many resources to, to one guy. And it's not like Alabama doesn't have other really good players up front and, and on that defense. So this is clearly by far the biggest challenge. I will say um, I think Tennessee wasn't sure exactly 
what they're going to have up front, even in the spring. And they came out of spring. The coaching staff felt a lot better about it. That, that was one of the things out of the spring that I think they were like, okay, this this could be good. I think Darnell Wright moving to right tackle has been key. That's his position. I think he's a pro right tackle, and he's been at left tackle for Tennessee. But I think that's his comfort level, and it's kind of let everything else fall into place. And I think Mincy's been good. Speaking of defenses, it kind of feels like this game – you know, if we especially if we have a Bryce Young under center for Bama, um, and then of course Hendon Hooker for Tennessee, that it could really just come down to which team's defense can get you know one or two key stops, just enough to slow up the opposing offense to uh, to make the difference. Um, if everything is clicking the way that obviously both teams want it to, but how do you think that this Tennessee defense, which is uh, not as good as this phenomenal offense they've got on the field, how do you think they're going to be able to to compare against Bama's offense and if they can get enough stops to make the difference. Yeah. You, I mean, you've just got to, you got to find some stops, you know, and I, to me, the whole key there is, uh, is getting after Bryce young and, and trying to, you know, you got to be able to wrap him up. He's, he's just so tough to, to corral. He's so good at extending plays and then making you pay downfield for the extra time he buys. But Tennessee is, you know, Tennessee is, I think a, a limited average at times, maybe even below average team in the back end. And of course, Jalen McCullough, uh, there's been no update on his status, but of course he got the, you know, assault charge uh, Sunday, you know, according to the police report, someone walked into his apartment and then there was an altercation. And so Josh Heupel has not updated that, but I, right now I would assume he wouldn't be on the field Saturday. So you're talking about a four year starter for their safety. So you have to move people around there. And they're already, you know, they just, they are, they have struggled against good competition, you know. But up front, they have some players. Uh, they got some young players I think are going to be really good. But Byron Young, two and a half sacks against L- LSU, leads the, the Vols with four, four and a half a season, 23 pressures. He's, first of all, a fascinating story. Just a few years ago, you know, he's working at Dollar General and, you know, he's kind of bouncing around and, and eventually, you know, Juco route and, and, and he becomes this tremendous prospect. He's, he's really become a problem for, for opponents uh, you know, to trying to block him. And there's a lot of players, you know, on that defensive line. Of course, Tyler Barron, but, you know, Roman Harrison has really been, been making plays lately. They got a lot of depth. And Rodney Garner, I think, is one of the real stars of this coaching staff. And just so many guys, even last year, veterans, they took over who, who obviously came here under Pruitt, a couple of them under Butch Jones. And it's like he turned them into, you know, like 50% better players instantly. Um, and that that's to me, is, is the key. And it's also, can they stop the run? Can they put them in obvious passing situations? They've been mostly good against the run. But Pittsburgh popped a long one on them. I mean, they, here and there they'll have a, a mistake. And, you know, obviously Jameer Gibbs will make you pay very dearly uh, for, a, for a slight mistake. If they can keep him under control, though, you know, then I think they can really send that pass rush at Bryce Young and have a chance to get, like you said, I mean, it's can you mix in, can you mix a couple punts in here, you know? I mean, I and, and with the Tennessee offense, the way it's uh, clicking right now, that, that could be enough. Yeah, unfortunately for Tennessee, it looks like Bryce Young being out kind of forced Bama to find its uh, run game again and get it back to kind of what we've seen in the past where, 
you know, they'd definitely been a much more um, pass-oriented offense up until they kind of had to resort back to uh, running the ball some. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Looking back, you know, this kind of rise back to prominence for, for Tennessee, I don't think it happens without a lot of administrative support. And it seems like athletic directors in the past have been uh, a little bit of a stumbling block for the program in terms of making bad hires, not overseeing the program the way it needed to be overseen, making some bad contract decisions, that kind of thing. Of course, when they brought in Heupel, they also were able to bring in Danny White before that to you know set the, uh, the groundwork. And it seems like that's been a really successful decision for this athletic department. What kind of an impact has he had in the limited time that he's been there? Yeah, well, you know, Danny White, it was a huge hire for them in the moment. You know, so in that moment, you're talking about the, you know, the uh, the firing of, of Pruitt and, and, you know, the, the NCAA investigation and, you know, firing him for cause and all that went with that. And it was just a mess. And obviously uh, people are uh, departing the program left and right. You know, getting Danny White was a big deal. And, you know, obviously he's been a really successful AD places um has had some tremendous coaching discoveries you know coaching finds and all of it and known now that is a great fundraiser and i say that's the you know it's the family business and so he's in a family of administrators and coaches and um and based on you know the numbers for tennessee um the budget they want to get their budget into the 200 millions you know like the top athletic departments out there and i want to say I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say they've gone from like the 140s to the 170s just in his time. So um, he's done a lot of things to raise money. And the funny thing is there was all this excitement about Danny White being hired, and then there was not excitement when he hired Josh Heifel, you know. Uh, I mean, there people wanted, you know, someone more proven. Obviously, you know, Tennessee fans, I think at that point, there may have been some unrealistic expectations, but there wasn't excitement about Josh Heupel. Uh, you know, UCF, the perception was that UCF had, had gone down some since he you know, replaced Scott Frost. Um, and actually, you know, I so in a recent story I did on Heupel, I, I kind of revisited this whole thing with Danny White and like, okay, so how did that really go? And he's like, I, he, like I did, absolutely did not want to hire him. Um, leaving UCF was – like it, it was painful for him because he loved UCF and he didn't like at first he was like Josh Heupel is like hands off he considered him like off limits to him and then you know one of his deputy said well if you're known for being a great hire of coaches why wouldn't you hire the one that you've already hired <laughs> so it, it eventually came around to you know talking to Heupel not really an interview but like okay you know what would you think about this and obviously so far it's been wildly successful. Um, but so you obviously, you know, you have alignment there, you know, with football coach and AD, which is important. And like you said, previous ADs, like I think John Curry's a good AD. Uh, you know, he's, he's been, he's a good AD right now at Wake Forest. Uh, he did some good things too. He came in and it was a modern AD approach. That I think Tennessee needed, which is what Danny White has kind of resumed. But obviously the coaching search went sideways, Greg Schiano and all of that. And then, you know, he gets fired and Philip Fulmer gets installed. And so it's like you had this few years in there of, you know, you kind of knew Fulmer was kind of a caretaker AD. He wasn't going to be a super long-term thing. 
it also kind of paused the the necessary kind of modernizing of things i'd say at least from the ad chair down and like you said uh, fulmer gives the extension to pruitt in in the fall of 20 when that really wasn't necessary and then things went you know completely bottomed out from there but i think danny white so far is is living up to the billing um and you know it's certainly he's had, he's had one major coach hire and obviously tennessee fans are very happy with that so far just one quick observation. We had a, uh, a commenter on, on the subreddit who noticed as a U- UCF fan, he said, you know, if you had asked me a few years ago, who would still be employed at this point? Yeah. Would it be Josh Heupel <laughs> at Tennessee or Scott Frost in Nebraska? He goes, right. I would not have picked Josh Heupel. You know, I thought that Scott Frost was like the for sure, you know, he was going to bring him right back. And obviously those two programs have had drastically different results. So it is kind of interesting to see how that's worked out. It's incredible. It's incredible how wrong we are. So many coaches, right? Like the hot, absolute can't miss coach, or and so many of them have uh, have flamed out like quickly. You know, in, in some of these recent hires, you think of like what the like the profile of Tom Herman a few years ago, right? Or I mean, I, I'm still stunned that Dan Mullen didn't work out at Florida. Like I, I don't understand what happened there. And yeah, Scott Frost. I mean, it's funny too. You know, the Oklahoma situation right now. You know. You, and it's very early, a very tough situation for Brentables, but that situation as Oklahoma fans sit there and, and see what Josh Heupel is doing at Tennessee. Yeah. Hey, um, we have a couple of callers who wanted to chime in. T. Kimball, Tyler Valls, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks for your patience. Thank you, Brother Wadley. I'd just like to say I am flying into Knoxville this weekend. I'm excited to see everyone, and I'm excited to see my volunteers be Alabama. This seems like it could be the one of the best shots that the team has had in that 15-year stretch. I mean, 2016 seemed promising, but as you said, Joe, uh, what we saw in the field didn't quite work out. But is this the best chance, at least in this stretch, in this streak, for Tennessee to make it happen? What do you think, Joe? No doubt. I mean, and the, and the thing about 2016 is, you know, it was it was a top-10 matchup. But Tennessee had had come back for this wild one over Florida. Hail Mary from Josh Dobbs to Juwan Jennings at Georgia to, to win that game in the last play. Then they'd lost an overtime game to Texas A&M, really good team. That was their first loss of the year. So they were at the tail end of an incredible stretch, and they were they just weren't – they weren't really a top-ten team. We found that out eventually. But, yes, I think even going to that game, there was a sense of, a little bit of a sense of resignation, like, uh, you know, because Alabama was just rolling at that point. You know, that was Jalen Hurts and that team that had kind of opened up that offense. So, um, you know, best chance – they've had a couple close games randomly. Lane Kiffin's one game, you know, in 9 was close. Butch Jones did have a real close one, an ugly game in, in uh, Tuscaloosa. But going into the game – uh, you know, and I really, the U.S. was well, I should have figured this out going into the game, and I don't have all the points for it in front of me, but this has to be the best. This might be the best Tennessee has felt going into this game or the best the, the, the general public observing this game feels about Tennessee's chances since Saban's first year in 07 when Tennessee was ranked, Alabama was not. I think Tennessee was favored, but Alabama blew them out, and of course, 
then it's been 14 more in a row from Saban over Tennessee. I think it might be the best chance going into the game since then. Unless someone wants to correct me on that, I could be wrong. Speaking of that uh, 2009 game with Lane Kiffin, you know, they lost by two. That was the infamous Rocky Block game with uh, Terrence Cody, you know, managing to get in there and cause some chaos on a couple of uh, field goal tries. In your most recent art, one of your recent articles about Tennessee following the LSU game, you mentioned that the third Saturday in October since the arrival of Nick Saban had kind of been an albatross around Tennessee's neck. And we've seen them, you know, work past some of their demons. They beat Florida again this season, you know, ended that that winning streak that they'd built up. You know, Alabama's kind of sitting here alone as the the big rival that they've just really been struggling to get past. If this isn't going to be the year, what kind of an impact do you think that has on the team in terms of, you know, with that mentality of if we can't beat them right now, then what's it going to take? Yeah, well, I mean, but the thing is, I mean, I still think, like, Alabama still might pick to win it all this year, you know? I mean, that's the problem. It's like, so this is our year, but like, once again, they are a team that easily could win it all. I mean, it's, I mean, that's the thing. This is mostly about Alabama. Well, I, I guess it is about both things, right? I mean, it's about Alabama becoming the best program, sustained program in modern college football history. And it's also, you know, it is in tandem with Tennessee struggling much since the end of the full marathon. The, the crazy thing about this rivalry is, I think, so I think it's 59 and eight Alabama, right? So that includes 15 straight from Saban. So, so when Saban came, it was, a, it was a close rivalry, you know, it was, and it was a, uh, it was considered a rivalry, but even before this, like, you know, Fulmer won 10 of 11 because Alabama couldn't find a coach, you know? And then before that you had, uh, you know, you had obviously Bear Bryant, most of his tenure was dominating Tennessee and then go back to Robert Nealon dominated. L- I mean, like it, it, it's weird how it, like, cause sometimes you, you think about this with in-state where I was like, well, one, I mean, one's really good. The other can't be really good or something. Like there's no reason this should have been like this. And it just kind of worked out this way that like one of them seems to be really good. And one of them not for stretches. And of course, if you're a Tennessee fan, you're like, well, guess what? It's about our turn. Um, but I wouldn't look for that until and unless Saban's uh, hanging it up. So to answer your question, Yes, this is the best opportunity in a long time, but you're still talking about what more than a touchdown underdog at home, right? I mean, like you still, I mean, I think you're still in a situation where if this is a sign of things to come, then maybe you have some more shots at these guys in years to come. We got one more caller up here and I wanted to hear from him. Hob Buggins, how are you doing, man? What's up? I'm doing well. How y'all doing, ladies and gentlemen? Um, I just got home from work in the gym, so I just hopped on. So I don't know what your discussion has been outside of Bama, but um, I wanted to chime in here because um, as being a WVU fan and in the Big 12, um, I genuinely unbiasedly, because I'm not even a conference guy, like I don't root for the conference, but I think the Big 12 from top to bottom is the most competitive and toughest league in college football this year. And on top of that, too, I have a feeling if if Bama does what they do, Georgia does what they do, but let's say one of them – let's say they both lose a game in between now and the playoff. Shit happens in the Big Ten. Clemson, who knows? But, like, I have a feeling in regard to the first, the first ever two-loss playoff team, 
might be Texas if they go and beat everyone else like they did <laughs> to WVU and like they did to Oklahoma. There's a lot that has to happen, but I have a feeling that like if people start dropping in games they shouldn't lose to, and there is a discussion like with Texas A&M a few year, a couple years ago of like, oh, this two-loss team might sneak into the playoff. I think it might be Texas. I don't know how y'all feel. Texas could Texas, but I mean, they've looked damn good for the last couple of weeks. And the Big 12 is, I mean, WVU and Oklahoma is competing to see who's the shittiest team in the Big 12. And that's amazing to me, personally. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, Joe, that's a heck of a league, you know? I will, you got you to give it up to the Big 12 this year. You know, Joe, this kind of, this kind of brings up an interesting question. Because I know when we're talking about Tennessee, obviously – this is, as we've kind of talked about, this is a good opportunity as any for them to, to break the streak. But let's say it doesn't happen and the Vols fall, hopefully in a close one, if it is something like that. What would be a good season for the Vols to have this year? What's a realistic season that you would consider to be a huge success for Heupel heading into this his second season? Well, I said going into this season that, you know, 10 and 2 is on the table. I mean, I picked them to go 8 and 4. At this point, look, I think uh, I think they should go 10 and 2. You know, I th- I think that they should win every other game on their schedule. The only other game on their schedule that I look at that I'm not totally sure on is Kentucky coming to Knoxville. And I I like the Vols based on what I've seen. You know, I know that Levis wasn't, uh, you know, playing in the South Carolina game, but I think I think they should win that game. So I think it's a hugely successful season if they get that done. Ten and two, and they're probably in the Sugar Bowl, right? I mean, they're I think they're in some New Year's Six Bowl, probably the Sugar Bowl, if they do that. Which means you're talking about best season, best bowl game. You're you're going back to the end of the Fulmer era. I mean, you're going back to Philip Fulmer's era when you've had this kind of success in a in a particular season. So I think that's wildly successful. You know, it's funny talking about playoffs in Texas, two loss and everything. Actually, here in Nashville, I had people yelling at me one day because I'm on, on our on my radio show here. You know, I, I threw out there, "What if this is a couple weeks ago? Like, what if what if Tennessee loses really close games to Georgia and Alabama and wins out? Why would that not be? I mean, no one else has to play Alabama and Georgia other than Auburn, but why would that not be a playoff caliber two loss?" Team, you know, I I also feel bad for jumping into an SEC conversation because yeah, I would take Tennessee over Texas in that regard. So that defeats whatever I just said a couple minutes ago. (laughs) Well, no, it it made me think of that, and I mean, but it's an interesting point because you're right. Texas looks ridiculous, and I mean, we we look at that Texas Alabama game like, oh man, one of those games for saving, you know, but. Well, I mean, if yours doesn't go down, there's legitimate chance they win that game because Alabama, I mean, yours look damn good against Bama dropping dimes, but that's the last thing I'll say. I apologize. No, for sure. Um, Sirius, I know you had a quick follow here. Yeah, just, you know, looking at it now, it seems like nine or ten wins is kind of the expectation for the regular season this year. And we know that Vol fans are – you know, they're competitive. They have very high expectations. They're excited about this kind of return to prominence. But what does it look like for Tennessee's chances to build off of a 10-win season potentially? And moving into 2023 for Josh Heupel, you know, we're, we know he's going to be losing Hooker, may lose some other talent. How is he going to be able to transition 
into, you know, finding that next starting quarterback and keeping this offense rolling the way it already is right now? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think I think one thing that this season uh, uh, care of in terms of a narrative I heard a lot going the season was, all right, these D coordinators have seen this offense now, so let's see if they can keep, you know, giving people problems. Yeah, they're going to keep giving people problems. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they still haven't really. Now, look, that's the thing. You know, this has gone very well we still really don't know about Heupel as an evaluator, right, of high school talent. I mean, you know, he's brought in some players who have come in right away and play, but eventually it's going to be all his guys, his offensive line. Again, a lot of these guys were here, and they've done a great job coaching him up, but we're going to find out more about his recruiting and evaluating all that stuff. You know, and next year is um, – I think they could be very good um, – they they would return they return a lot of guys or or could there are a lot of guys who have eligibility quarterbacks the obvious question they have Nico Yamilava uh, coming in from California five star quarterback I think right now I I think Joe Milton is in line to be the starter and I know some Tennessee fans don't get excited at that prospect and we're gonna we're gonna find out if that's the case but Joe Milton is tremendously gifted. And I still believe Joe Milton can be a good quarterback. Can he be what Hendon Hooker has been? Well, I mean, you're talking about a guy who right now is right in the mix for a Heisman. But I think Joe Milton could win you a lot of games. You could be – you could have a good season. I could also see certainly a step back to some extent, you know, in year three. So, it's like, I, I you know, I, I could see – I think you can get – unrealistic expectations as a result of a season like this. And that's just, I mean, look, that's what happens, right? You raise the bar, you raise expectations, you got to deal with it. You created that monster, but I think Tennessee fans should be realistic and look at this season as look right now. It's just an incredible mix of, of, uh, uh, of players and coaches and Hendon hooker wasn't brought here by Hypel, And then he wasn't Hypel's choice. It was Milton. And eventually they kind of found each other and they, and just rolling so this is a special team a special season and and it may be a while before Tennessee you know can get back to something like this Joe Milton I think has the potential to be a great quarterback if you can just get him to take about 15 percent off of those deep throws <laughs> uh, put a put a weighted exactly. wristband on him or something because he's shown he's shown some potential but gosh those uh those really you know bad overthrows just kind of They've they've killed some drives in the past, Joe. As we kind of we wanted to respect your time. We know you had about thirty to forty minutes, and we've got a little bit over. But I wanted to just kind of give ask a couple of quick kind of wrap up questions. And this one, I mean, I'm not asking. We don't necessarily expect to go into superb detail on this. But for those listening, how do you think Tennessee could beat Bama? How do you think it would happen this weekend? Well, I think uh, again, I think you, you've got to. You got to win the turnover battle, probably. You certainly can't be, you can't lose it. And Alabama's had issues, you know. Um, you know, I, I kind of throw the last game out. I mean, I think with Bryce Young in there, that's you know, that's how you you want to evaluate Alabama. But you, you need to tip a pass at the line, pop the ball out, get a big play like that. Um, you got to finish in the red zone. But Tennessee's been, I mean, they've been excellent in the red zone as well. You, you have to, you have to have touchdowns. Um, I mean, you do what you do offensively. 
I, I think there's so much confidence for Tennessee that its offense is going to work against whoever wants to come out on that field with them. And if you go back to last year's game, they were blow for blow with Alabama, still just a touchdown down. Um, you know, it's 31-24 early fourth quarter. So it's not like they were just going up and down the field at will, but they were having success. And then actually one of Hooker's two picks as a starter happened when it came back the other way and the game got away from them. But they, they have a lot of – they got more than three quarters of football on tape in Tuscaloosa right there with that team. So I think their offense, they do what they do. And then you just got to mix in some stops. You, 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 you get – a big special teams play and or a big turnover, but you got to be able to stop the run make them one dimensional, make them obvious passing. And then you just hope that Bryce Young still doesn't just uh, poke holes in your defense all day. I mean, they're Alabama is going to move the ball and make big plays and score points, but mix in some stops, mix in a few stops and, and Tennessee, it's not like it's some far fetched, or, you know, uh, unattainable formula here for the balls to win this game. Hey, Joe, as we wrap up, where can our listeners find you and follow your work, both, you know, your audio work on radio as well as, as the written word? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Um, well, at Joe Rexrode on Twitter. And then, um, I'm, I'm, of course, I work for The Athletic. I, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the columnist here in Nashville. So I, I, uh, you know, I write a lot about the balls and also, you know, Titans and predators and Vanderbilt and other teams as well. And then, uh, uh, the, uh, I'm on, uh, one Oh two five, the game in Nashville, six to 10 AM every weekday. So of course we have a stream, uh, the game Nashville app also, so you can stream it there. So there you go. Awesome. Hey Joe, thanks so much for joining us. This was really a interesting talk and, I learned a lot. I appreciate it. And I know it was, it was probably great for all our listeners. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I now, I've done Twitter Spaces. It's very cool. You guys were awesome. Thanks for the great conversation. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to do it again sometime. Absolutely. We'd always love to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. All right. Well, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This was RCFB Talk 92. We were talking volunteer football with Joe Rexrode of The Athletic. That's all we have for now. Thanks for joining us. My name is Bob Akhairi. I was joined by my co-hosts, J.D. Moore and Sirius. We always love having you join us. We hope you have a good night. And now I'm hang up and listen.